Let us turn now to the Lord in prayer. We do give you praise, our God, for our Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ, who with his blood purchased our, our pardon. On that cross, he, he sealed that pardon for us. He has made us free. Our debt has been paid, and never again can we be placed in bondage. We thank you for the work of, of our gracious Redeemer. Our Father, we confess before you that oftentimes we live as though we are not redeemed. At times we, we try to keep trying to pay for our uh, redemption. We think that Christ's work is not enough and, and by our good works that hopefully we can win your favor. And so we cast doubt upon the work of our Lord. Forgive us for the, the self-righteousness by which we depend to, to win favor with you. We have sinned also in times that we have even acted as though we would be like to be in bondage again. That we are lured by the, the temptations, the pleasures of this world, and we would, would even like to, to return to those old ways where we can engage in sin without guilt. And we, we confess this before you. We have not loved you with all of our heart and mind and, and soul and strength. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not lived up to the standards that you have had for us. We have not wanted to. We confess these things freely before you. And all the more we give you thanks for that great confession that we can make, that Jesus Christ has died for sins once and for all. It is done away with. That we are covered by his righteousness and his righteousness alone. No, we thank you and praise you for that truth. Our Father, we pray for this world that does not know this truth. They may be on the other side of this world. They may be our next door neighbors. They may be within our very homes. We pray for the work of your Spirit to open up the hearts that we cannot open up. May we be ever faithful in declaring clearly the gospel. And may your Spirit so bless that confession. There will be those who will come into your kingdom because of it. We thank you for those who have left their own homes, who have dedicated themselves to going into other cultures, other parts of this world. We thank you for our brother and sister Robert and Jean Smith who are with us. We thank you for how you have touched us by hearing of the work of the gospel in Latvia, uh, that our brothers and sisters are there. There are those who make the same confession as we do. And all the more, we pray that you would bless their work. They will bear great fruit in their labors as they seek to build up the body of Christ that is there and that you would fulfill their heart's desire to be a sending church. There will be those who will go forth from Latvia into other nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you, our Father, for your blessings and goodness to Glenn Wilkins, whom we have supported for a number of years, and he is now graduating from seminary. He is beginning a new work as a church planter in Johnson City, Tennessee. 
We pray, our Father, for that he uh, would bear fruit in his labors, that a church would take root there, that the gospel will be faithfully proclaimed, that those who are lost will be brought into your kingdom because of that good work. And then, our Father, we pray for ourselves as this church, and we, we thank you for this, uh, this day the opportunity to, to vote on receiving a new senior pastor. And we, we pray for the anointing and blessing of your spirit upon our meeting uh, of great harmony and unity together and joy and looking forward to uh, the work of your spirit in the coming years. Uh, we pray for Reverend Smith, that even now for your blessing to be upon him and what is really a, probably a difficult time for him today as he uh, leads his congregation in worship, and we presume uh, would be telling his congregation of the new calling that you've given. And we pray for you to give him strength, your blessings upon him and upon his family this day. And then our Father, you know each one of us here, who is here. You know what's going on in our hearts, in our lives. You know what we are facing and what we will face that we do not know. And all the more that we look to you as the good shepherd to feed your flock. Feed us with your word. We pray that as your word is open, that you would open it to our minds, to our hearts. Convict us where we need convicting. Comfort us where we need that. Lift us up. Encourage us that all the more that we might serve you truly as your followers. Have a true understanding of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, we've already read our scripture as the, uh, the responsive reading. Now, we have begun a series of uh, following Jesus and listening in on his conversation to two disciples on their walk to the Emmaus Road. You might uh, remember these disciples are walking. Jesus appears. They don't know who he is. He's asked what's going on. They're just shocked, amazed that he could not have heard the news. And so uh, they tell him, and, and they sum it up pretty much this way, that um, we had hoped that uh, Jesus of Nazareth, we hoped that he was the one who would redeem Israel. And that word that they use, redeem, the concept of redemption, that was the expectation of the Jews. They were looking for a Messiah who would come, particularly would redeem them. And they would look back to this very passage that we, that we read uh, in uh, verse 13, where it says, You, God, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. Redeemed. They The nation of Israel loved to sing of the redemption of God. And the Jewish people still do today. When they think of redemption, being redeemed, they're primarily looking back to that redemption, that deliverance from bondage in Egypt. That's the big event. Let me just read a couple of other recollections of this in in the Psalms. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. 
When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, they trembled. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footsteps were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. That was in Psalm 77. Or here's another example in Psalm 106. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. And he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foam and redeemed them by the power of the enemy. And that's how God represented himself. And so later on in Exodus 6.6, actually, when he's telling Moses what he's going to be doing for the people, say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. That's Exodus 6.6. 6. And so to be redeemed by God was to be delivered from bondage. It was to be redeemed from the power of an enemy by the power of God. And so later on, when the people were sent in exile to Babylon, again, they would yearn for redemption. And God promised to redeem them. Let me read from Isaiah 44. Seeing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth. Break forth into singing, O mountains, O forests and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built. And I will raise up their ruins. And he's telling them that they're going to come back from Babylon. He's going to build up Jerusalem again. This time he speaks of Cyrus, using Cyrus to be their redeemer. And so the Jews were looking for redemption again. This time by the power of God who would deliver them from the bondage of the Romans. That was their hope now. And this time, they're looking for the Messiah himself to come. That's what he's going to do. He is going to deliver the people from oppression. God would send his servant, who would be his redeemer. And this again, this is whom the disciples were looking for as they're walking along the road to Emmaus. When they said we had hoped he was going to be that redeemer. But their hopes were dashed by the crucifixion. And so, maybe he was a great prophet, he was a good guy, but he was not the one in whom to place our hope. And no doubt, one of the lessons that Jesus is giving them right now is the meaning of the word redemption. What kind of redemption that Messiah was to bring. Now, the Hebrew term for the redemption that we were looking at here in, in Exodus and all these other texts It's called ga'al, and it's a specialized word. It doesn't merely mean to deliver or or, or to rescue. 
Every time when it's, it's used by a human being is referred to as a redeemer, redeeming, what's being meant is what we sang about. He purchased. There's a purchase price to pay or a ransom price to pay to reclaim a person or an object. So let's say someone becomes impoverished. He becomes a bondservant in order to pay his debts. But his brother comes to his rescue. He pays the debt so that he's released. This brother redeemed him. Or let's say the same man, he has to sell his land to pay his debts. Again, that that relative, that brother steps forward and he buys the land back. He redeems the land. Now, you might notice, each time I used the example of a relative, of a, maybe a, a brother stepping in. Now, you can, you can redeem your own house, you can redeem yourself, if you have the means to do so. But if you don't, your hope lies in your kinsman redeemer to step in and to deliver you or to redeem your land back for you. There is a book written just about this. That's the book of Ruth. Now, Happy Perkins tells me that um, Professor says the book of Ruth is about a transaction, a real estate transaction. And actually, there's a lot of truth in that. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer for Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. But he's not the closest one. Actually, the closest relative is the one who is supposed to do that redemption. So Boaz gets together with that other relative. And let me, let me read it to you. It's from Ruth 4, verses 3 through 5. Then Boaz said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. What he's talking about here is because Ruth's husband, Naomi's son, had died, there was no one to carry on the name of the family. And what closest relative is supposed to then marry that widow and the first child would then carry on the name of the deceased. Now, fortunately the relative turns down the terms. Boaz steps in as the kinsman redeemer who redeems the land and who really, it's Ruth that he wanted through all of this. And they and Naomi, they live happily ever after. The land stays in the dead man's family. Uh, Ruth takes, uh, it becomes the wife of Boaz and the name of the family continues on to the next generation, which by the way happens to produce King David. So in this case, Boaz prevents the land from being sold outside of the family. If it had been, then he would have been called upon to pay the ransom price to get it back. 
Or let's say if Ruth had sold herself as a bond slave in order to, to support herself and, and Naomi, Boaz would have paid the ransom price to free her from bondage. That is what is meant to redeem. And there's another way that a kinsman redeemer might act. And Abraham illustrates that. Remember how Lot uh, was taken, perhaps you remember, into captivity. There had been a battle. He was taken and all of his possessions. And and, uh, Abraham hears about it. Abraham gets all of his his men together. They chase after uh, the folks who have taken uh, Lot. They, They defeat him. He rescues Lot. He did that because he was Lot's kinsman redeemer. And so he delivered him out of slavery. So you see now how all of this fits in with the redemption of Israel. At that time, while they were in in Egypt, they're simply known as the Hebrews. They have been reduced to slavery in Egypt. They are in bondage. They needed a kinsman redeemer to rescue them. They needed a kinsman who, who would claim them. They cannot appeal to to neighboring kings for help. No one would claim them. No one's going to pay for them. No one certainly is going to fight for them. No one but a kinsman. And their kinsman turns out to be no less than the Lord God. For he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had made a covenant with these three fathers of the Hebrews to deliver their descendants. And he had not forgotten his promise. So here then, here's what Jesus' lesson to the disciples would have been. He said, look, the Messiah, whom you, you were looking for and you thought you missed, he is your kinsman redeemer. And what you saw as a humiliating defeat on a cross, that was actually glorious victory. He won a battle on that cross. He won a battle against Satan, who has been enslaving you. He won a battle against death itself. He rescued you from the bondage to these foes. He had to suffer on that cross to fight the battle. He had to yield himself to death to win victory over death through his resurrection. See, the real Messiah fulfilled the hope of redemption actually in its fullest measure. See, not only were you rescued, you were paid for. A a ransom price was met. Your life was forfeited because of your sins. You owed your blood, but your Redeemer paid the price of his own blood, and no one can buy you back. Into, into bondage. No one can take you back. Your debt has been paid in full. This is the real redemption. This is the real Gaal, of which the Exodus and, and Ruth and, and Babylon, they were simply looking to this. They were foreshadowing this. And the real reason, see, the, the disciples had missed the Messiah was that they had misunderstood this redemption. If they had been more discerning of the scriptures, they would not have missed what had taken place there on the cross. They would not have missed the Messiah. 
The book that uses this term, Ga'al, more than any other book is that of Isaiah. And there God is speaking again of the redemption that he will win for them in, in Babylon. But when the prophet Isaiah uses this term, he adds another dimension to it. And this is what the disciples ought to have picked up on. He brings in the concept of repentance and the forgiveness of sin. And when I had read earlier from Isaiah 44 about God redeeming Israel from, from Babylon, here's the verse that preceded the passage that I read. It's verse 22. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. You see, Israel and Judah, Israel was in bondage because of her sins. Her redemption rested in her repentance. In Isaiah 1, 27, Zion, that's speaking of Jerusalem, speaking of, uh, of Judah, Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. So think about it. What did John the Baptist preach? He's the one whom Isaiah prophesied, saying, you know, there would be one who, who cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Okay, what did he preach? Matthew tells us, chapter 3, verse 2, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For that matter, what did Jesus preach? We're told in Matthew 4, 17, he went out. Here's his first word, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's a deliverance. Redemption is a deliverance from bondage to sin. That's the redemption that the Messiah was bringing. And so what was needed, what was needed was not a a band of followers, not these zealots who's looking for this military leader and they're going to come around and they're going to fight the the Romans. And what was needed was a repentant people who were willing to deal with their own sins. I mean, who cares about the Romans when it is sin that leads one to the eternal bondage of hell? That's the battle of redemption won on the cross. That's the the payment of redemption on the cross by our kinsman redeemer. That is the redemption that Jesus' followers finally came to understand. Here, for example, is is Paul from Galatians 3.13. He's thinking about Christ's redemption. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Disciples looked at the cross and said, Well, he cannot be our Messiah. He cannot redeem us. No, it is because he is on the cross that we know that he is our redeemer. Or in Colossians 1, 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Or, or the writer in Hebrews 9, 15. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant 
so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. This is the redemption of our Messiah. So what we have seen here is how the exodus of Israel from Egypt, how the return of the exiles from Babylon, how they foreshadow the redemption of Jesus Christ. Now we who profess Jesus Christ, we also are the redeemed. That's how Israel liked to to refer to themselves. We are the redeemed. We are Israel, redeemed by Christ from the bondage to sin. We are those exiles who who were separated from God because of our sins, and we have now been brought back to him through the redemption of Christ. Jesus fought a great battle against Satan and death to deliver us out of bondage through, through the sea of death, and he is taking us into the promised land of his kingdom. Jesus paid the ransom price By shedding his blood on the cross, he made full restitution for our debt. He has set us free from judgment. We are the redeemed. And so I would ask this, though. How is it then that we often live as though we're still in bondage? As though we're still living in exile? Here's what I mean. You know, when the Hebrews were, were redeemed from bondage, to captivity in Egypt, I mean, you know, they, they see all these great plagues and stuff done for them and miracles. They go through the, through the Red Sea. They have barely then begun their journey going forth when they begin to act as though they were better off back in Egypt in captivity. In Exodus 16, 3, this is three verses after the... Uh, chapter 15, which we read from. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They look back on Egypt, their time of slavery in which they're barely living. Boy, we we were living a good life back then. I mean, four more times they would make this, this same type of complaint. Even one time, they're trying to find a leader who will take them back. And what had happened? Well, they had discovered that following the Lord was not so easy. They got hungry. They got hot. There was no interstate highway with air-conditioned cars that, that would transport them. There were times in which they were going to have to actually fight. That's not what they had signed up for. Well, we act the same way. We find out that following Christ is not so easy. We experience the same trials of life that, gosh, our unredeemed neighbors are are facing. We might have thought that, you know, we thought that, you know, Being redeemed by Jesus meant that all of our troubles would be taken care of. Our kids were going to turn out well. Our marriages were going to be smooth. People would like us because because we're so nice, you know. (laughs) 
Now, why did you find that funny? I'm not sure on that one. We didn't anticipate being fired from jobs. We didn't expect the illnesses. Even the deaths that intruded into our faithful following of our Redeemer. We didn't sign up for that. Just like the Hebrews, we're we're tempted at times to, to want to return to our bondage. Where at least life seemed to be just as good, or we look at our neighbors, if not even better, than what we've got now. Or there's the opposite tendency. We feel like we're still exiles in Babylon. Has God really forgiven our sins? Are we, I mean, are we truly redeemed? We, you know, we feel like we've got to do our part. We, we, we still sin. So we, all the more we've got to work harder to rid ourselves of sin. And we've we got to make restitution to our Redeemer, what he's done for us. See what he did on that cross. And, and I've got to prove somehow that I'm worthy of that. We're thankful for his redemptive work. That's be sure. But we've got to make sure at times that we are repentant enough, that we have enough faith, that we're doing our part enough Again, we act like we're still in exile and we have to earn God's favor. But what we need to remember, we are the redeemed. Jesus Christ has fought for us. He has paid for our redemption. There's nothing more that we can add to it. God redeemed us with an outstretched arm and our puny arms can add nothing to his work. And we glorify him, not by adding our might, but by recognizing our helplessness. And recognizing that we need fully his sovereign might and grace. And so I'd I'd counsel you, let your sins, and you sin, as bad as they are, let those sins push you toward God instead of away from him. Let your sins, let your temptations, your helplessness serve to remind you of how merciful his redemption is for you. And let us remember what we have been redeemed for. This is where we often trip up. We've been redeemed for the true promised land. Our inheritance is heaven. But even actually beyond heaven, to a new heaven and an earth, to that day that our Lord returns and the resurrection comes. And we are with our Lord in his glory forever. That's what, that's what took Paul through all of his sufferings. Second Corinthians 4, he writes, We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we hunger and we thirst. We grow weary like our neighbors, and, and yeah, I mean, they at times seem to have more fortune than we do. 
They pursue the sinful pleasures of the world and without any guilt. While we work at denying ourselves the sins that we desire, or even despise for what we believe, despise for what we reject, while they receive honor. But remember, we are the redeemed. Our Redeemer gave His life for us. Our Redeemer now protects us. Our Redeemer will lead us through this life to the eternal life of glory. And if you do not have that hope, you know, so maybe some, you, sometimes you sign on because you thought redemption was about, well, being around some nice folks, kind of coasting through this life. Or maybe you've never signed on. Open your eyes to the redemption of Jesus Christ who was one on the cross. He did not shed his blood that, that we might have a good bank account that we might live carefree. He shed his blood that we might be saved from the pangs of hell and that we might enter into the eternal promised land. Is that not enough? And all that is asked of us is to believe in his redemption. Does anyone need more proof? Do Do you need to feel that you have to contribute? I mean, what better contribution can you make than to take God at his word, to believe him. To believe that when he says he will redeem you, that he will redeem you without your help. Believe that his provision of eternal life and glory, believe that that is of more infinite value than any of the temporal pleasures of this world. There is a redeemer, and only one redeemer. And someday we who are redeemed, who have called us upon his name, we will stand in glory before him. Come. Come, Lord Jesus, our Redeemer. Let's pray. We give you praise, our God, for that you are our Redeemer, that you have given to us the Redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ, that you have taken us through and delivered us for us from a greater bondage in any earthly bondage. You've taken us out of the bondage of hell, out of the clutches of Satan himself, that we are in your hands, and as our Redeemer has told us, no one can snatch us out of your hands. Open our eyes to the redemption that is ours. Keep it ever before us, day after day. May we keep our hope upon that redemption that is our that has come to us once and for all, from our Lord Jesus Christ, whose name we pray. Amen.